communion with all of you and to come to a place of unity around something that we share and we believe. And I'm telling you, and you already know this, we need each other in this journey of life. And we need each other especially for what we talk about in the series that we're in right now. This is part three of a series we're calling A Fighting Chance. And we need each other to walk with one another in the constant battle that temptation is for all of us. Okay? We are now in part three of a three-part series called A Fighting Chance, um, how to win or at least fight your toughest battles. This series is designed, if you've been here and you know this already, it's designed to help you understand the nature of temptation, give you tools to fight it, and renew your hope that you can get on top of it. This morning I want to set it up this way and ask you this question. Um, have you ever thought about the significance of key questions in your life to shape your future? Have you thought about key questions and how they shape reality for you? In other words, um, think back to your elementary school days. Um, how many of you, no need to raise a hand, have ever been passed a note that says, do you like me? Check yes or no. Don't raise the hand. How many of you want to send a note about that this week? Again, don't raise your hand. A question that shapes reality and changes your future. Well, what should I do? Do I like her or don't I? I don't know. Maybe I do like her. What does that mean? Are we going to go out Friday night? Probably not because you're six. You know, anyway. But that question rolls into a bigger question when you get a little older, and that is, will you go out with me Friday night? Anyone ever been asked that question? That's a different one. That's a change. Mm, yeah, I don't know. Then it leads to a bigger question perhaps someday, and that one, some of you, we, this is such a big question, we say that people pop this question, right? And you know what it is. Will you marry me? Right? Big, big question, because questions are like hinge points in life. They swing you from one phase of life to another. They move you from not interested to interested, from single to married, from living here to living there, to learning about this to knowing about that. Questions are huge hinge points that, that often indicate a transition from one stage of life to another. I'm leading us up to, in this final message, one big question about the issue of temptation, that if you will allow it, it will be very uncomfortable for you if you really are serious about wanting to get on top of temptation in your life. It's a question that will provide a hinge point for you that can swing you from one stage of life to another if you'll allow it, but I'm telling you now it will be uncomfortable, it will be difficult, and it will challenge your soul. It's a big question. I'm going to get to that toward the end of this message. Now, by way of review, where we've been, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn uh, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's a Bible in the pew around you, and that's our gift to you. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to have that and take that with you. But 1 Corinthians um, is written by Paul, and maybe an easy way to find it is looking in the table of contents at the beginning, or just kind of flip your Bible two-thirds of the way through, and you'll get to 1 Corinthians in short order there in the New Testament. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 to 15, Paul is writing there, and he says a few things at, at the beginning. So I'm going to read from verses 11 on down to 15 this morning for us. And here's what he says, just to reframe and go back to where we've been in verse 11. He says, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Now, that was message one. Message one, we stopped and talked about that passage alone. And we essentially said this, if we ignore, assume, or hide, we will be taken for a 
ride, okay? Meaning temptation is an alluring trap designed for your failure and my failure. It's something that looks great and promises things that it cannot deliver on. And it's a alluring, beautiful trap set and designed for your failure. So don't ignore the examples of the past. Don't assume your footing is solid and that you will never fall like somebody else has. And don't hide from the reality that we need each other because no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Don't ignore, assume, or hide, or you'll be taken for a ride. It's just a matter of time. If that's what we do, that's what will happen. We'll be taken for a ride with temptation. Then we went into the second part, and that is here in the second part of verse 13. This was last Sunday. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Last Sunday was tough. It was difficult. I told you I was going to make a big ask on you, and I think I did. And I asked you to believe what you hear more than what you experience. That is a big ask because your experience is a primary uh, shaper of your own reality, not what you hear. And I said, we have to put our experience against the truth of the scriptures. That the Bible teaches us here that while temptation is hard, using language that says it's too hard is wrong. It creates a reality that doesn't exist. That it's hard, but not too hard. That God will not give you more than you can bear. So the temptation, while it might seize you, and it might seize you regularly, we have to acknowledge that it is not too hard. And secondarily, that there is always a way out. Use the image of the fire escape. That's exactly what I think Paul was using. While they weren't invented to that point, it was this idea that there's always going to be a way out. God will always provide a means of escape. In other words, we cannot say, it's just the way I am. I tried, it overcame me. I had no way out. No, that's your experience talking. I'm, making, I'm asking you to, to think big on this. The truth is, God will always provide a way out. Difficult things last week, honestly. Very difficult things to believe. But this is what we have to interact with in the truth of the scriptures. This morning, we're going to wrap it up here in verses 14 and 15. I'm going to read those for you. I'm going to comment on 15 and go back to 14. So Paul keeps writing and he says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Now, if you have a Bible that uh, is in print, you may have a different heading that leads verse 14. In other words, maybe a paragraph break between 14, uh, excuse me, 13 and 14. Maybe in a digital version, if you're reading that, there may be that as well. Just a reminder, those things came after Paul actually wrote, okay? When he wrote the letter, he wasn't writing in headings, okay? That is an interpretive decision someone made to cut something there. Just the, the flow of thought from Paul continues as he's writing, and it continues right down here. So immediately on the heels of temptation, his first thought is, dear friends, flee, flee from idolatry. And then he says, I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. And so I will say the same thing. I'm speaking to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. And not me in this case necessarily, but me reflecting Paul's words to you. Like, if this doesn't make sense to you, if this is something that seems illogical or unwise, you be the judge of that. But if it does seem wise, you're sensible people. Use your wisdom. Use your discernment. Think about it. Does this make sense or not? So this is what Paul is asking of them. Listen, I'm going to lay it out. You be the judge. You figure out if this makes sense or not. And so he, he does that, and he says this in verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. That will be our focus for this morning. He, he begins immediately, he says, my dear friends. 
And I don't think we can miss this reality. You may or may not have known that there are several different words for um, love in the Greek. Okay, I, I, maybe some of you know that, maybe you don't. There's eros, phileo, and agape. Okay, eros is the erotic kind of love. Uh, phileo is uh, like Philadelphia. Okay, brotherly love, the city of brotherly love. And agape is that full-on, um, selfless, other-centered love, the kind of love that Christ shows us. That's the ideal. So if you've been in church, you may have heard that before. What Paul is doing here is he's taking that word agape, that full, self-centered, other kind of love, and he's making that into, um, he's pushing words together. This is actually translated agape toy. Like, therefore, agape toy, the ones whom I love, my dear brothers. In other words, the people whom I love. I love you selflessly, and because I want the best for you, because I'm interested in your best, I want to give you some advice. Like, this isn't self-centered. This isn't of interest just to me. I'm telling this to you, the people whom I love. Flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. Now, this is weird in the context of temptation. We're talking about temptation, and then all of a sudden, we go to flee from idolatry. Interesting. And it raises the question here. Why is fleeing idolatry a good strategy for fighting temptation? It's a good question. Why is fleeing idolatry a good strategy for fighting temptation? And what do the two even have to do with one another? Why are they related in this way? Why immediately on the heels of temptation does Paul go flee from idolatry, run from idolatry? Well, idolatry, if understood to be that thing which kind of pulls our affections away from God and pulls us to worship other things, it kind of makes sense. Let me, let me answer it this way. Why is this happening? Let me answer it this way. Whoa, we are, we are off the screen, aren't we? Um, I'll tell you what, let me pause it because it's going to get weird if I don't do this. Um, so you guys, you guys could have told me that it was off. You should have done that. All right, I'm going to back it up here. Diana, can we just do a refresh on that um, com one piece? There we go. Trust me, this will be worth it in the long term. Uh-huh. There we go. I think we're in business now. There we go. Doesn't that look better? All right. Let's get back into it if we can. Why is fleeing idolatry a good strategy for fighting temptation? And here, let me answer it this way. Because temptation and worship both compete for the affections of our heart. Why is idolatry and temptation together? Because both compete for one thing. Temptation and idolatry compete for the affections of our heart. They, excuse me. Temptation and worship both compete for the affections of our heart. So in other words, what we're tempted with kind of is a way for us to see what we're currently leaning into worshiping. What we're tempted with kind of leans us this way. So let me put it this way. The more careless I am about what I worship, the stronger temptation will be. The more careless I am about what I worship, the stronger temptation will be. If you're feeling like, I just can't get on top of temptation, just keep coming and coming and coming, I, I wish I could change and I can't and I've tried and whatever... Paul is saying, flee from idolatry, the things that you worship instead of God. There's a connection between the two because temptation and worship compete for the affections of our heart. Therefore, the more careless I am about what I worship, the stronger temptation will be. Let me, let me put it in another way. Maybe an image will help you. Uh, and let me change the image from fleeing to something else. Um, I spent some time over the last couple of weeks um, riding outside. I enjoy cycling, and I passed by a couple of people who were getting their gardens ready for the springtime, which, hey, welcome to spring, by the way. Okay, here we are. There we go. It's not snowing, so this is a good thing today. 
they're getting their gardens ready. I like you to imagine a, a garden being gotten ready and just a, a clean slate, okay? And you, you've been out there and the soil has been turned over, the rototiller has gone in and done its thing, and you're, you know, you're ready to go. You've got a beautiful, um, beautifully prepared soil. And let's say you're given a seed of a beautiful plant, and you want to plant this seed in the middle of the garden, and this plant when the seed, when planted, will grow up to provide a kind of fruit that is unrivaled, that will continue to bear fruit in your life and give you both life and joy. A rugged plant that will grow and give to you the kind of fruit and life that actually will last a lifetime. That will almost be the envy of your children and your children's children, and of course the envy of your neighbors. Okay? This plant is there and ready to go. And you plant the seed in the middle of this garden with anticipation of what will come of this tremendous plant that you have. And over time, over a couple days, weeks rolling, you begin to see as you water it and the, the water falls from heaven, you begin to see the plant growing. And it's going along well, a normal plant pace, okay? But shortly thereafter, things happen. And you know what happens to any garden that is prepared. It is not only a garden that is appealing to a good plant, but also to all kinds of bad plants, all kinds of weeds. And it's really usually your neighbor's fault because they didn't take care of their weeds, right? And things float through the air and land in your garden, okay? And then you have to deal with the weeds in the garden. So you look at the weeds and you realize the weeds are growing, the big plant is growing. I should probably do something about the weeds. And so you decide, I'm going to go take care of the weeds in the garden. But some are harder to pull out and some are easier to pull out. The easier ones kind of come out by the roots. The harder ones snap off at the stem, right? Which to me is about all weeds, but uh, anyhow. You know, they, they snap off and the roots continue to stay there. Now you have a choice of what to do because it looks fine and it would look fine to any observer. And if you were to parade your garden in front of anybody, they would say, you've got a beautiful garden, but only you know that the roots of the weeds that you haven't quite rooted out are still stealing nutrients from the plant that should be growing better than it is. And if that's the condition of the garden where there are weeds whose roots continue to steal nutrients from the plant that should be given life, you know what will happen to that plant. It will not grow to the degree in which it should grow because it won't have access to the full life around it. And if your experience in relating to God is anything like mine, I relate to that garden intuitively. The seed of planting a desire to know God and have his word and the life of a relationship with God grow in my heart is there. And so I prepare the soil of my heart for God and the relationship of him to grow in my life. And it doesn't take long for the temptations to blow in from my neighbors, from my friends, from my own heart. And I'll pull some out and others will stay rooted. They just kind of get mowed over and don't get dug out. You know what these look like, right? Like the idols, the weeds that grow, the weeds of comfort. I got one over there in my heart. It says, I deserve. I deserve the comfort of a... Of a beautiful home. I deserve the comfort of a car that works. I deserve the comfort of clothes that are clean and fresh and new enough to choose from several times a week. I deserve the comfort of air conditioning and heat in the wintertime. I deserve the comfort of enough food and extra food in my pantry for when I change my taste palates and I want something else. I deserve 
the comforts that come. And comfort is a tremendous idol that is always asking me for more and saying, don't, don't grow, don't be challenged. Just grow in comfort and ease. Over here, I might have the idol of the weed of power and control that says, hey, you should be in charge. And if you're not, figure out how to be in charge. Control your family. Control your marriage. Manipulate things so that things work for the way that you want them to. I mean, mow it over so nobody sees it, okay? I mean, like, mow it over so nobody sees it. Let's just be clear about that, because I don't want you to see that. But underneath it, the weed continues to grow under the surface, and the root is there. Stealing life from a relationship with God, power and control. The weed of fear. Can we talk about this one for a minute? The fear of who might be elected president. Can we have that conversation? The fear of, oh dear, God must be sleeping on this one. Oh dear, what are we going to do? Because clearly, I know how best to navigate the future more than God. Boy, I wish someone would wake him up on this one. The fear of what's happening over here, what's going to happen to my kids, what's going to happen to my future, what's going to happen if I don't, what happens if I do, what happens if she doesn't and he doesn't. <gasps> the idol of fear invites us to worship at its feet. The idol of overindulgence, where maybe some of us relate most closely to temptation, of taking what is good and just perverting it and going beyond. I mean, we can talk about overindulgence in eating, we can talk about overindulgence in consuming. We can talk about overindulgence in sexual relationships. And what was designed for good is twisted and turned, and an overindulgent appetite is created for something very unhealthy. We can talk about overindulgence even in how I relate and react to people. That, oh, I have a, a freedom, almost I have a right to overindulge my sinful nature. I'm so angry with you that I'm going to hold my bitterness and anger longer than I should. I'm going to overindulge my offense. Be so mad at you and not tell you about it. Just try to pretend that everything is okay. I'm going to overindulge that part of me. And these weeds grow up all around us and we wonder why is this plant in the middle of the garden not growing. Paul says, flee from idolatry. In other words, root it out. Don't just pluck it off or mow it over. Root it out. Now, I told you at the beginning, questions hinge and swing from one part of life to another. I'm going to deliver a big question to you now. A question that I first heard from Craig Grishel that has challenged me significantly on this issue. And here's the question that he asked. The question that I want to ask to you. And here it is. Why resist tomorrow what you can eliminate today? Why resist tomorrow what you can eliminate today. And I know tomorrow I'm going to struggle with this, and I, I bet it will happen because it's happened before, and I can see it coming. I know my tendencies, and I just hope I'm strong enough. Or, what do I need to do to eliminate this? 
What if I'm not in the business of sin management? What if I can't tame the ugliness of my soul, but I need to kill it? Why spend energy? It doesn't even make sense. Why spend all this energy resisting in the future what makes more sense to put energy to kill today? Why resist in the future what can be eliminated today? Like, why do that? Why go halfway and think, I bet I should change something, but uh, it's going to take too much. Why do that? Why say, I'd rather spend more time in the future hoping that I can defend my heart, rather than saying, I'm done. I'm going to eliminate this thing. I'm going to figure out what this means, and I'm going to ask for help, and we're going to get on top of this. Why resist tomorrow what you can eliminate today? Let me suggest that there's a couple of responses to this. Maybe there's four, maybe there's more. Here's the four. Number one is this. I don't think I can. You want to know why? You ask me a question. Why? Let me tell you why. Here's number one. Number one, I don't think I can. And I don't think I can get on top of it. That's why. Why can't I eliminate today? Because I can't. I've tried. It's just who I am. It's just the way it's going to work. It's the way I'm always going to be. I don't think I can. Now, if that's the case, and I think that may be where some of us are, we need to acknowledge a couple of things. One, we're believing our experience more than what we hear. The Bible tells us again, let me remind you, we just read it. God will not give you more than you can bear. And he will always provide a way out. If I'm going to land on, I don't think I can, I just need to wrestle with the truth of Scripture on that. I just need to fight that and own that I'm fighting with the truth of Scripture on that. This has to be where it is. I have to fight that. I don't think I can, okay, I get it. I don't think you can, I believe you, because it's been hard. But know that you're fighting against the truth of Scripture on that. I don't think I can is often an excuse for this one. And this one is tougher. I'm going to come a little tougher on this one. And that is this. I don't want to. Why? Why resist tomorrow what I could eliminate today? Well, quite frankly, if I'm honest, I don't want to. I enjoy the indulgence of it, okay? I like that the roots can grow and nobody sees it. Where else am I going to go with my anger? Where else am I going to go with my lust? Where else am I going to go with my pride or my laziness? Where else am I going to go with that? I need to have something. You want to know why I'm not going to eliminate it today? Because frankly, I don't want to. Okay, now we're talking. Part of the reason you may not want to is it will feel like death to you. When you have to kill a part of you that you're so used to, it feels like death. And death is never something that you want to embrace. Why resist tomorrow what you can eliminate today? I don't think I can. Frankly, I don't want to. Now, if you say this one, then I think we're about ready to start talking. I don't know how. I don't know how. Fair. In other words, maybe, maybe, maybe I should. But I, I don't know how. Okay. Now we can talk. Now we can move. Now we can say, let's talk together to come up with a game plan. I don't think I can. I don't know how. I don't know how. Here we go. And a fourth response. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. 
Here's what I'd like to say to you if you're ready. Man, come on. Let's go. Come on, let's, let's believe the Scriptures to be true. That God doesn't give you more than you can bear. That He always provides a way out. And that God is faithful. He's a good God. He's a good and faithful God. You may or may not know this, but the Puritans, okay, you think of the people who you might say, man, they didn't struggle with temptation. <laughs> Imagine the Puritans, people whose names you know, reflect purity. Good grief, what more can we possibly have as examples on the, the earth of people who might have had it together? The Puritans asked this question. They said, what can dislodge a beautiful thing from the heart? That's another great question. What is it that can dislodge a beautiful thing from the heart? Not much, truthfully. Because it's, when it's beautiful, I want it. And sometimes I think my anger is beautiful because it's righteous. And sometimes I think uh, a, a lustful thought is beautiful because it seems right. Or sometimes an overindulgent appetite seems beautiful and right. And sometimes I think you know, worry and fear seems right and beautiful because it's justified. Puritans ask the question, what can dislodge a beautiful thing from the heart? And they said this, only a more beautiful thought about God. Only a more beautiful thought about God. In other words, flee from idolatry. Like the things that draw your affections to temptation are the things that can be had in greater measure with a relationship with God. The struggle with lust is a desire for love and to be known. Right, a struggle with anger is a struggle with relating well to one another and feeling like your position is, is heard. Okay? The problem of fear and anxiety is a problem of, of wanting the world to be under control, under someone's control at least. And God is a place to remind yourself He is in control. Okay? Every little temptation that we have is drawing us down to idolatry to say, worship me instead. And the Puritans will say, you want to know what will dislodge a beautiful thing from the heart? Only more beautiful thought about God. In other words, flee from idolatry. So let me ask this question again to you. Why resist tomorrow what you can eliminate today? Come on. Why do that? Why do that? Why resist and spend all that energy resisting in the future things that you just know should be eliminated today? Why do that? Here's what I want to ask of you. I want to ask a little bit more of you this morning. Okay? Uh, in, in the book of James, and I love the book of James because it's Jesus' half-brother writing, and I've said it before, you may have heard it, you know, you, you ask the question, what would, it take, um, what would it take you to do to convince your sibling that you are God? Okay? And this is James, the brother of Jesus writing about his brother, and he's saying, you know, he's God, all right? I mean, he's, he's a Savior. So in there, James writes this, and he says, yeah, basically, it's foolishness to look in the mirror and see something that needs change and walk away and not change it. Okay? I mean, we know that. Right? How silly that would be to look in the mirror and be like, man, that thing needs done. Not going to do it. I mean, there's, we just wouldn't do that. And so this morning, I'm holding up a mirror. And I'm asking you, this morning, in here, now, if you are seeing something in the mirror of the Word of God, Right now, don't walk away from it unchanged. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray for us in a minute. I'm going to ask you to be maybe a little bold, 
but also just perhaps obedient to whatever God is working on in your heart. And if God is working on your heart and something and you're saying in your heart, you just know, I need to, I've been resisting, I need to eliminate. I need to move from resisting to eliminate. I need to do that. I need to flee. I need to get underneath and get the roots. I need to eliminate. And if you're feeling that about anything, and it could be anything, right? It could be anything. If you're feeling that, I'm going to ask you while we pray, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I ask you to raise your hand and just have a response, a physical response to say, I'm looking in the mirror, man, I need to change something. Then I'm going to ask for, for secondly, something else. I'm going to ask you first of all for that, and then secondly, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand again. If you're willing to say, I'm going to talk to someone about this today. I'm going to tell somebody, I raise my hand on this issue. So I'm going to push a little bit this morning. I'm going to say, here's the mirror of God's word, flee from idolatry. Flee from the things that get under the temptation. I'm going to ask us while we pray to raise hands. If you would like on two things, if you're needing to respond and move on it, look in the mirror and respond and say, number one, man, I, I need to resist. I need to eliminate today. And let me tell you this. I'm not going to assume that all of a sudden you're about to, to kill somebody, you know, rob a bank, you know, do something, you know, blow up. I mean, I'm not going to assume this is not the point of this. This is for you. To be able to say, I'm looking in the mirror and I don't want to run anymore. It's time to eliminate today. It's going to be, man, I need, I'm going to eliminate. Number two, I'm going to talk to somebody about that. Okay, so I'm going to ask you for that while we pray. May this question be a hinge point for you, all right? You want to have a fighting chance? You want to have a fighting chance with temptation? Here we go. Why resist tomorrow what you can eliminate today? God is faithful. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. So if you feel only I wrestle with this, I encourage you. Welcome to humanity. We wrestle together. This is part of why we share communion together. We take this together. We walk together. We encourage strengthen one another. And so will you pray with me? So we pray for one another and with one another as we deal with this issue of idolatry and temptation. Let's pray together. Our good God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the mirror that it is, and I pray for us this morning that you would give us courage if we have seen something in the mirror that we need to respond to, to do it here this morning. To kind of plant that flag here now and say, I'm done. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know what the future looks like. I don't even need to have that plan in place. But today, my heart and my mind, I know that I'm done. I'm eliminating today that which maybe I thought I would just resist tomorrow. And so here's our opportunity. So if you are in this situation with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, okay, and, and if you are in this situation where you're saying, I need to respond. I, I need to respond to this. I need to eliminate now. Would you raise your hand? Say, I need to do this. I need to eliminate today. Now, Let's go to that next step. I need to eliminate and I need to talk to somebody. And I will tell somebody today, 
that this is what I have done. Raise your hand. If you're willing to go there and say, I'm going to do that today. I'm having the conversation. going to make that happen. Father, I pray for those of us here who are ready to move and who want to respond. Give us courage, I pray, to do what we have just said. And may today be a hinge point again for us where we stop and ask the question that it swings us into a different phase and where things that have dogged us for a while but no longer do are brought into new light, are shifted and changed. Father, may you help us root out from our hearts the weeds that pull us. And may we, as this final song will say, crown you with many crowns. May we give you the honor that you're due, and in that, may our worship of you and our delight in you dislodge the beautiful things that are designed for our failure to be replaced by an even more beautiful picture of you. We love you, Father. We thank you for the time that we can share this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.